Hey, this is Roderick Waddle, the author of The Other Side of Money, Becoming a Person God Can Trust, and this is The Other Side of Money podcast. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to the show. Hey, it is The Other Side of Money podcast, and this is episode one and part one of a two-episode series entitled The Faith Side of Finances. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what are the threats to your prosperity and success. Tune in. You don't want to miss this. Do you truly understand what it means to prosper? I mean, really know the definition of the word. Liddell Wilson, who served as my pastor for over 10 years, he used to say the power to define is the power to fulfill. In other words, if I can't, define or really know what something means, then how can I truly walk it out in my life? With that in mind, let's get a clear definition of the word prosper and what it means to do so. Let's start off by looking at dictionary.com where we see the word prosper defined as to be successful or fortunate, especially in financial respects, to thrive or to flourish. And when we look at the Old Testament of the Bible where we see it translated from the Hebrew word saleah, spelled S-A-L-E-A-H, it means to rush, to advance, to make progress, to succeed or be profitable, to bring to a successful issue or the cause to prosper. It's this word that we see in Genesis 39 and 3, where it says that the Lord caused all he did to prosper in his hands, talking about Joseph. This is the same word in Psalms also, Psalms 1 and 3, where it talks about whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is that word, saleah. And when you go to the New Testament of the Bible, we see it translated from the word eudeo, which is a Greek word spelled E-U-O-D-O-O. This is a Greek word, and it means to grant a prosperous and expeditious journey, to lead by a direct and easy way, to grant a successful issue, to cause to prosper or to be successful. That's from 3 John verse 2, where it says, Beloved, I wish above all else that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now, remember, the power to define is the power to fulfill. So now that we have a good definition of what it means to prosper, now we have something that we can wrap our faith around, something that we can work toward, that we can believe God for. But we also have to remember that there are some things that would come and try to hinder us from fulfilling that in our lives. Think of it like like a sport. You have football, for example. You have the offense who is trying to score points. They're trying to advance up the field. They're trying to succeed. They're trying to prosper in what it is that they're trying to do. But you have the defense that's trying to hinder them at every turn. And it's the same way in our lives. There are things that come from the enemy that are trying to hinder us from prospering. A few years ago, I learned about something called a SWOT analysis. That's S-W-O-T. And what it stands for is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so major companies and corporations use this technique called a SWOT analysis to assess these four aspects of their business. Now, this is something that we can also apply to our daily lives as we seek to grow and seek to do and reach different objectives in our lives. This is a business term where companies or organizations, like I said, they analyze their strengths, weaknesses, the opportunities, and also the threats that would try to come against them. Now, first, 
and they look at their strengths. And this is something that's internal. So we want to take time to really assess our strengths. Now, this isn't, you know, don't don't get religious on me and start trying to, you know, I don't want to brag or boast. No, no, nah, nah, listen, just take time to really analyze yourself and look at what are my strengths? Okay. What do you do well? What are you good at? Now, this is important to know if you want to move forward and really build something and prosper uh, in your life. The second thing is also internal, and these are your weaknesses. Again, you know, don't get don't get weird on me, you know, and, and you're not speaking life or giving life to your weaknesses if you just recognize them. It's important that you recognize them. What are your not so strong points? Things that could potentially cause delay or distraction in your life. We must be aware of our weaknesses just as we must be aware of our strengths. And we got to be honest about them. For example, if I'm trying to lose weight and live a healthier lifestyle, I need to be aware of and I need to be honest that, you know, if I have a weakness for sweets, I need to stay away from that. It's going to cause me to go back. It's going to cause me to be unhealthy. So I have to look at the big picture and I need to be honest with myself about what my weaknesses are. Some people have weaknesses that are other things, you know, and it's vital it can even mean life or death in certain situations that you stay away from those things that are your weaknesses. Now, the next few things are external things like what are your opportunities? This is the O in the SWOT analysis. And you want to ask God to reveal to you what are your opportunities? Because sometimes we don't recognize them. I heard Dr. Mike Murdoch talk about something called the law of recognition. And the law of recognition says what you fail to recognize in your life will go uncelebrated. And what goes uncelebrated will go unrewarded. And what you also what you fail to recognize will eventually leave your life. So it's important to recognize opportunities. For example, David and Goliath, the major story in the Bible. Goliath was simply an opportunity for David to advance to the position that he was supposed to be in. Now, he could have not taken that opportunity. Matter of fact, other people had the opportunity as well. But David was the only one that stepped up and said, hey, what will be done for the person that, that gets rid of this disgrace? What will be done for the person that defeats this? What will be done for the person that takes advantage of this opportunity? He was the only person that saw it that way. He was the only person that recognized it as an opportunity. When you look at Mark chapter 10, you have a blind man named Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road. He had been there begging for a long time. Then one day he heard that Jesus was walking by. Now, Jesus was an opportunity that was walking by and he could have let him walk by. But no, he opened his mouth and he took advantage of the opportunity and he was healed and he received his sight that day. Now, he could have sat there like a lot of us do and said, oh, I'll, I'll wait till next time he comes. But do you know that Jesus never came that way again? When he, once he passed by him that time, he left, went to Jerusalem and went to the cross. The whole thing happened with the cross and Jesus never came that way again. So there was an opportunity to be healed. Just as Goliath was an opportunity for advancement. Now, opportunity does not always knock, contrary to the popular slogan. They say opportunity knocks. I heard somebody say it like this. Opportunity does not knock, but it, it stands idly by and waits to be recognized. Now, it's also important to recognize what type of opportunity that an opportunity is. It's not always an opportunity to, to earn right away. It could be an opportunity just to learn. You could have an opportunity to sit at someone's feet could have opportunity to you know to really soak up some new information or be exposed to something new that you may not have thought about before there's also another other types of opportunities that we need to be aware of and sometimes you have an opportunity to sow 
to just be able to pour into something else, into somebody else's vision for a season. There's also opportunities to serve. Step out of your comfort zone and help somebody else out with what's going on or serve in your local community in some kind of way. But there's also opportunities to grow. Just like this podcast is for me, an opportunity for me to step out of my comfort zone and grow into something um, that I, I believe that God is uh, wanting me to wanting to take me to. All right. But there's another O that I'm going to throw in there. And this O is obstacles. An obstacle is something that obstructs or hinders progress. Now, not all obstacles stem from our weaknesses, but your weaknesses can turn into obstacles if you're not careful. And that's why it's so important to identify your weaknesses. Not all obstacles come from the enemy either, but some do. And they're meant to to destroy us. So it's important to really be able to, to pray for and use discernment during these times. And some obstacles come from God to grow us. Or to show us what we are made of. For example, Abraham being challenged to offer his son Isaac. That, that showed him something new about himself and showed him something new about God at that time. Daniel in the lion's den. The three Hebrew boys. Everything that Joseph went through. Those were obstacles that were put in their lives to really pull some things out of them that they didn't even know that, that was there. I'm sure that we all can relate to that. There's some things that I went through in my life. I didn't know I even had the capacity to go through that. But during those times, it really brought some, some things out of me that I didn't know was there. It made, me, it made my faith go to another level and my belief that God can do what he said he would do so many times, so many times. And then we come to the T, which is the threats. Now, a threat in this particular context, it means an indication or a warning of probable trouble or of being at risk for something terrible. But a threat can also be something that's hinted at or, or spoken with the intention of causing intimidation or, or shame or causing you to stop in your tracks. Now, what is the source of these threats? Now, we got to be aware. Remember, I talked about there being a defense that's trying to hinder us from reaching a certain place. Now, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he said, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So he identified here a certain individual or a certain entity that's a thief that comes to steal, steal your dreams, steal your, um, your intentions, steal your prosperity, that comes to kill, wants to kill your dreams, wants to kill you physically, and wants to destroy. Destroy everything that you ever dreamed of, everything that you built, everything um, that God has for you. Just completely wants to annihilate it. He, he also alluded to this in John 17 and 15 when he was praying. He said, not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And this evil one, this real enemy that we have is the source of these threats, this intimidation, this whispering, these uh, these ideas that's trying to come into your mind that are trying to hinder you and intimidate you, these threats. Now, I'm not saying that these threats are not to be taken seriously because they are. But the way you respond to these threats are going to make all the difference. See, you need to respond courageously to these threats from a place of truth, because the truth is. Colossians 2 and 15 talks about how God has disarmed the one that's making the threat through the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's Colossians 2 and 15. So the truth is 
that the one making the threat has been disarmed. But not that we shouldn't take the threat seriously, because if we fall into it, what the, the effect that the threat could have could be devastating. For example, for 40 days, back to the David and Goliath thing, right? For 40 days, Goliath was spitting threats and insults at Israel and had them sitting still, scared in their boots, scared to move. See, these threats, if we don't respond courageously and from a place of the truth of the matter, it'll cause us to, to sit still and be idle. And some people can be idle for 40 years, scared to do anything. You could, you, you could spend your whole life, waste your whole life and never make moves, never do what God told you to do because you're responding the wrong way to the threats. But a threat can also serve a purpose similar to what an obstacle can do, in which it can cause us to not be lackadaisical and keep us on our A game. So what, can, what we can take from this whole thing about a threat coming from an enemy that's been disarmed is that the, the whole intention of the threat is just to get us to stop, just to insert fear in us. Yeah, and we can't have that because our destiny is on the line. So now we are going to identify and break down five threats that try to come against our prosperity. Number one is lack. Now, lack is defined as deficiency or absence of something needed, desirable, or customary. Now, I call this a threat because of the temptation or the tendency to want to focus on it. Do you understand that? The first ever temptation back in Genesis chapter three was a temptation to focus on lack. I'll prove it to you. Genesis verse two. No, excuse me. Genesis chapter two, rather verse 16. God told Adam, he said, of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, you must not eat it for the day you eat it. You will, you will surely die. Now I'm paraphrasing it. Right. Then you fast forward to Genesis chapter three. And then this particular enemy that we talked about that Jesus identified in John 10 and 10, he raises his ugly head and he comes in and he says, you should not surely die, right? The day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And at that very moment, their focus shifted from the complete abundance that they had available to them that they could freely partake of to the one thing that they perceived themselves to lack. And this is why it's so dangerous, because they say what you focus on expands. And while you're focused on lack, for the time that you're focused on it, you completely forfeit the abundance. And that's what happened in Genesis 3. They completely forfeited the abundance that they had because they chose to focus on lack. And focus on lack only produces more lack. Now, this is very challenging because we're looking around and y'all, the situation is real. The numbers are real. The intimidation and the fear that this threat is posing is real. We really feel it. It's very intimidating. But it's at that point where we have to choose what we're going to put our focus on. Consider the story of the widow woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. When, when the man of God came to her and he said, what do you have in your house? She said, I have nothing but this little bit of oil. Right. So she perceived it as a lack situation. But the man of God was able to change her perception and that little bit that she had ended up turning into the abundance that she needed. See, this is why doing this SWOT analysis is so important that you can identify your strengths at times like this. Because there's something there that may seem like a little bit, but it can end up turning into the abundance that you need. I heard Dr. Dr. Um, Myron Golden 
He said the abundance available to you is always greater than the lack that's in your presence. So it's all in our perception. And I challenge you to choose not to focus on lack. But instead to focus on the truth. The truth is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, where it says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The truth is found in Philippians 4 and 19, where it says that my God shall supply all your need according to his glorious riches by Christ Jesus. That is what we should be focused on. So the first threat is lack. The second threat is lust. And this isn't always just lust of the flesh. When you're dealing in the realm of finances, you have to deal with the lust of your eyes. You know, you see that, that thing, that shiny thing, and you want it, and you start to defy all logic just to go get it. Lust is, desire, is, is defined as a passionate or overmastering desire or craving, and it's not just limited to sex. We're talking about lust of the eyes. It means to crave or to covet, to desire wrongfully, inordinately, or without due regard for the rights of others. Go back to Genesis 3 and 6. And you see that it says in the King James Version, it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. This lust of the eyes thing, this lust thing is so strong, it will make you completely disobey the voice of God. For example, I can remember several years ago, I was in a good position. I had a paid for car. I had a great job. And I was riding through this uh, certain small town, and I saw a car for sale. It was, it was one of the cars that I had been wanting for a long time. It was for sale. Now, I was in a good position, but I didn't have the money to pay cash for it. Remember, I already had to pay for a car, but I didn't have the money to pay cash for this one. But I told myself, man, I'm going to find a way to get that car, right? And as I was riding one day, um, I do a lot of driving. I was actually a driver at that time, a, a, a big truck driver. And I heard the Lord say in my spirit, stay where you are. Stay where you are. I was like, man, stay where I am. Okay. All right. But I wanted that car. I completely disregarded that. And I went and I made a way to get this car. Like I said, I didn't have the cash to pay for it. So I ended up financing that car. So I had to pay for a car. Now I went and financed this car and took on a car note. 30 days later, the transmission went out in the car. And I lost my job. I was working in an oil field at the time. And it went completely to zero. Like, Talk about the rug being, being pulled from under you. So here I am with this car that I financed and completely lost my job in the oil field, went to zero, and, a, and a, the transmission going out in this damn car. Had I just listened to the voice that said, stay where you are, I could have walked out of that situation with thousands of dollars in the bank. But instead, I put myself in a position where I had to struggle to try to get through the, try to get through the situation. Just because I gave in to my lust, the lust of my eyes. James 1 and 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now we're talking about these threats to our prosperity. Now each one of these things, lack, lust, these voices that we hear, these things that try to tempt us in these certain ways are things that will line up with things that are in us if we don't deal with it. And it'll draw us away while and we'll be enticed by our own lust. Proverbs 21 and 17 says, He that loves pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loves wine and oil shall not be rich. In other words, he who gives in to his lust will be a poor man. This is to be taken seriously, folks. 
So we have lack and lust. And that brings us to the third threat, which is greed. Now, greed is an excessive or rapacious desire, especially for wealth or possessions. And this is to the point where you get predatory, like, I just got to have more. I got to have more. Go to Luke 12 and 15. Jesus talked about this. Verse 15, he said, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told a story about it. He went on to say, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But this is what he didn't know. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? When you look at what the, the effect of greed, everything that this man said was I, me, I, me. He never even thought about anything about anybody else. And he could have been a blessing to a whole lot of people. I heard a gentleman, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, he talks about the three main appetites that humans have. That's the appetite for food the appetite for sex, and the appetite for money. And he explained how each of those three appetites work. The appetite for food works like this. The more I get, the less I want. Meaning I'm, I'm hungry, I get, some, I get some food, I eat till I'm full, and then I, I don't really want to see any more food after that. It gets to the point I don't even want to smell any more food, right? The appetite for sex works like this. The less I have, the less I want. But the more I have, the more I want. Which is why God put parameters around it. He said, don't open love until it's time. You know, when you put it in the, in the context of marriage where it's safe, you can have at it, have all you want in, in, in a safe place, right? Because the less you have, the less of a big deal it is, but the more you have, the more you want it, okay? And then let's talk about the appetite for money. And the appetite for money works like this. The less I have, the more I want. The more I have, the more I want. You see, the appetite for money is never quenched. So that's why we must guard ourselves against greed. And this is why I believe giving is such a big deal, you know, and when you can, when you're able to part ways with, with it, when you're able to give and break the allegiance to it, break the tie to it, it, it really helps to free you from this greed demon. Consider the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. He came to Jesus asking, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him, and he said, I've caught, I've kept all those things since I was young, you know, what do I lack? And Jesus told him, he said, look, there's one thing you lack. Go thy way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. Then come take up your cross and follow me. And it says he, he was sad at this saying, and he went away grieved. Why? Because he had great possessions. Now, why was he grieved about it? Because of, he had, because of his allegiance to those great possessions that he had. And in essence, Jesus was telling him, listen, go give it away. Break your allegiance with that. And come and follow me. And that word follow me in the Greek, it means to side with his party. So he was, if you're going to break, if you're going to come side with another party, that means you're going to break your allegiance with the previous party that you were with. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal. So he was saying, look, take up your cross and follow me. Break your allegiance with that. Get, get this greed out of your life. Jesus came to give him life and life more abundantly, but he thought his life consisted in those things. Can you imagine where, where the Lord could have took him to or blessed him with had he just done what, <laughs> what the Lord asked him to do? 
you know, had he been able to break his allegiance with it, I can imagine the great things because he had the capacity for great things. He was already in a place of rulership as a young man. All right. Now look at first Timothy chapter six, verse six through 10. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain that we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment. Let us be therefore content, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And this is, now this, this is the, the scripture that everybody messes up right here. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that's how powerful this thing is, this greed and this affection for money. It causes people to err from the faith. Now, so now we have lack, lust, and greed. And that brings us to the fourth threat, which is debt. And this is a major one because it seems like the world runs off of it. And it's marketed to us in such a way that it looks good. But the Bible has several warnings about it. Now, debt is defined as something that is owed to one or that one is bound to pay or perform for another. It's a liability or an obligation to pay or render something. Proverbs 22 and 7 says that the rich rule over the poor and that the borrower is servant to the lender. When you look at Proverbs 22, starting at verse 26. Now, this is talking about co-signing somebody else's debt. It says, do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. Now look at verse 27. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. That's a warning against co-signing somebody else's debt. Romans 13, verse 7. It says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now look at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, debt is a thief. It steals from you and keeps you from reaching your goals and postpones your outcomes. Now, let me tell you the rest of that story about that car that I lusted after. So, I told you all that I had went into debt to buy this car that I didn't need, but I lusted it after it so bad. I went into debt for it, bought it, 30 days later, transmission goes out in the car, and plus, I lost my job. Working in the oil field, driving a truck, Brooke completely pulled from under me. Now, here I am with this car, transmission gone out, um, so I was able to scrape together uh, kind of like my last paycheck or so from the, the job I had to get the transmission fixed uh, and, and get the car back running. So then, uh, in my genius mind, I had already taken out debt to buy the car. I decide, you know what, I'm not going to keep this car. I'm going to trade this car in. And you know what happens when you trade a car in? They give you a certain amount of money for it, and then you roll the negative equity into the new car. So now um, I have the, the debt that I borrowed at first, minus uh, the amount they gave me, plus the, the debt on the new car. So now I have more debt and a higher payment. Yeah. So that happened. So here I am with this higher car, higher car payment and still trying to trying to look for look for a job and get back working. Um, eventually got back working. But due to unforeseen circumstances up the road, um, I'm not really I don't really remember exactly how it happened. But that car um, ended up getting repossessed. <laughs> so I went from having to pay for a car, lusting after another car, um, transmission going out in that car 
after God told me to stay where I was at, borrow more money to buy another car, ended up losing that car about a year and a half or so later. And it was funny. Well, it wasn't funny at the time. When I look back, it's funny. I had just came from Bible study on a Wednesday. Just came from Bible study. And mind you, I had a speaking engagement the very next morning at a preschool, right? It was a preschool that my church had, Kingdom Kids Academy. I had a speaking engagement to go there and talk to the little kids about money. I get home from Bible study. I go in. I pull up to my apartment. I go in, take a shower. And something tells me to go look out the window when I get out of the shower. When I look down there, my car is gone. So here I am with a speaking engagement to go talk about money the next day to a group of preschoolers. And my car gets repoed the night before. Y'all, it was so embarrassing. Nobody really, nobody knew about it at the time, what had happened. But within myself, I was so embarrassed, humbled, and I had learned, well, I thought I had learned my lesson. I ended up financing uh, another car later on, but but still, this debt thing is nothing to play with. I had to walk to my speaking engagement to speak to the kids and walk home. And that was the longest walk that I ever had. <laughs> So we can see how these threats work together and try to build on each other. See, my lust led to me going into debt, which led to lack in my life. And with debt comes unforeseen, unforeseen things in the future that you don't know. Unforeseen risk that you're taking on when you take on debt. Consider the story in 2 Kings chapter 4 again with the widow woman. It says in 2 Kings 4 verse 1, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. And now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves. Now, this is a story about a man who took on a massive debt that he thought he could make the payments on, right? But he didn't foresee that his own death would happen before he got a chance to pay it off. And with that, now he kind of, I think he had to know that this was a possibility like it had to be in the fine print that, hey, if you don't pay this debt back, we're going to come and take your sons as our slaves. But he left his family in a very bad position by taking on this debt and not considering the unforeseen risk of the, in the future of him dying. And now his sons are a threat or at risk, rather, of being taken as slaves. Consider that for a second. Now, this is why us as adults, we have to to take responsibility, and we have to pass down a, a legacy of debt freedom to our children, a, a mindset of debt freedom to our children. And this is something I'm working on getting out of. I'm fighting to get out of debt because this is not something I want to pass down to my children. Now, in that same story, in verse 7, after she had um, sold the oil and God had made the little bit that she had into an abundance there's a great lesson in verse seven. It says she went and told the man of God. He said, listen, go sell the oil, pay your debts and you and your sons can live off the rest. Now, that's a great lesson there. Listen, pay your debt first. When you get your money, pay your debt first, live off the rest. See, if you focus on lack, you're not going to want to let go of the money to pay the debt. Right. But we need to switch that mindset. We need to get the threat out of our life first. So that we can live in peace, get that threat out of our life, pay your debt, live on the rest and go forward with freedom. And that brings us to the fifth threat 
which is poverty. And this is the goal of the entire defense. The entire defense wants to get you here and render you destitute and hopeless. Poverty is the state or condition of having little or no money, goods or means of support. And like I said, destitute and hopeless. The poverty mindset is the goal of the entire of the entire defense. The lack, greed, lust, debt, all want to get you to a place of poverty and operating out of a poverty mindset with a sense of entitlement, hopelessness, despair, um, at the bottom, unable to to see or even even fathom at all a, a future for yourself. This is the goal, and we have to fight against this, y'all. We have to fight against it with a passion. We have greed, lust, debt, lack, and poverty. And there's one more threat that I want to highlight, and that's the threat of laziness and slothfulness. It means to be idle, inactive, sluggish, apathetic, lethargic, we have to guard against this with everything in us because it feels good. Sometimes it feels good just to be lazy and, and sluggish. And this can be brought on by fatigue, but it develops gradually as a person makes little decisions with the goal of maintaining comfort and taking the easy path. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. We'll start with Proverbs 6 and 4. It says, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. When you look at the King James Version, it says, give no sleep to your eyes. The key word is give. In the Amplified, it says, give not unnecessary sleep to your eyes. The thing is not to give your eyes unnecessary sleep. See, you have to make your eyes earn sleep. You don't, you don't need to be sleep until you've done enough work <laughs> to where you're tired and worn out and then you need to go to sleep. This is talking about overindulging in laziness and sleep. Proverbs, when you, when, you, when you continue to read uh, in, in that same chapter, it says, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowl. In other words, you need to get with it. You need to get up, get active and get with it. Then it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. See, an ant is wise, and the summer is thinking about winter, and the winter is thinking about summer. It's always moving. It's on the move. If you put an obstacle in front of an ant, it's going to go around it immediately. It's not even going to stop and think. It's going to keep moving. And that's how we got to be in our life. We need, to, we need to be moving. We need to be forward thinking. We need to not be slothful and lazy. Then it goes on, verse 9, it says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Then it says this major key, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest in what? In poverty. The goal of the defense, poverty and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. See, a thief or a robber can sneak up on you suddenly. I mean, sneak up on you slowly or overtake you suddenly. So you have to be on guard against this. And the way you be on guard against this poverty sneaking up on you like that. It's to not be not be lazy, not be slothful. Stay on your game. Don't give unnecessary sleep to your eyes. The Bible goes on to say in Proverbs 19 and 15. Wait, let me pull that up. Proverbs 19, verse 15. It says, laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless go hungry. Now, now it, it's, it's saying that your very well-being, whether or not you eat, is going to be depending on whether or not you're lazy. 
2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. We have a Bible study in here, y'all. It says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. <laughs> now, that would be cruel these days, right? That would be cruel these days. But look, it is what it is. If you're not willing to work, you're not going to eat. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. And I hope you're taking note of these. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. It says, through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Because you're just lazy. And things require maintenance. I have a teaching that I do called Maximize and Manage. It's talking about managing and, and maintaining things. But just because of your laziness, you know, this natural state of things is deterioration. And they require maintenance. But because you're lazy, things are just gonna, you're going to just let things fall apart around you. No, no, we're not going to have that in our lives. Nope, let that be them and not us. We are not going to be lazy. We're going to stand up and do what we need to do. It goes on to say in Proverbs 10 and 4 that lazy hands make for poverty. Your own lazy hands is helping the defense get you to the ultimate goal of poverty. <laughs> Consider that. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. I have a whole chapter in my book, The Other Side of Money, Becoming the Person God Can Trust on Diligence. It's, it's a powerful thing. The Bible has a lot to say about being diligent. But, but man, Proverbs 10 and 4, lazy hands make for poverty. Listen, don't aid the defense in getting to its ultimate goal. Colossians 3 and 23 says this. As soon as I pull it up, Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Listen, y'all, whatever you do, don't go at it in a lazy way because the way you work makes a difference. You can just be going through the motions, but the way you do it makes a difference. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And in Proverbs 22 and 29, we're talking about the opposite of laziness now. Proverbs 22 Verse 29. It says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. So if you want to be in the presence of greatness, of great people, and really belong there, you got to be diligent in your work, skilled in your work, not lazy and slothful. Now, listen, I hope that you all got something from this episode. These five threats. The threat of lack. The temptation to focus on it. You got to remember the truth about this, that the abundance available to you is always greater than the lack that's in your presence. The threat of lust. Don't let your lust cause you to disobey the commandment of God and get, uh, get yourself into some trouble. Don't allow your lust to do that. Greed. Don't allow your greed to do that either. Greed. You know, uh, I, I hear a lot of stories about people going to churches and, um, Spending these different opportunities, these different scams and people giving their whole life savings over to those people and getting robbed of their life savings. Now, I do hold the people at fault that are going and scamming those people and pitching those false 
those false ideas to those people. But you know what? If those people weren't operating out of some type of greed that's in them <laughs> that wants to believe the, the, the scam that they're being told, then that never would have happened to them. I think that that's an appeal to the greed that's in those people in some way. Now, I'm not trying to shame the victim or nothing like that, but hey, look, we got to call it what it is. There was something in you, some kind of type of greed in you that caused you to move on that. So we got to watch and guard ourselves against greed. And we can't let these things lead us into debt. We got to be careful with how we handle debt. We got to fight to get out of the debt that's robbing us. Debt is a thief and it steals from you and keeps you from reaching your goals and postpones your outcomes. And we got to remember that the ultimate goal that this defense is trying to do is to get you into a state of poverty. The condition of having little or no money or resources, destitute and hopelessness. And we got to guard against laziness. I think laziness is, 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 a natural, is a natural thing to us. So we really got to guard against it. Remain diligent. Stay on your job. Do it well. You know, and I, I believe ultimately we'll be blessed. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Other Side of Money podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roderick Waddle. Thank you so much for sticking to the end. If you would like to donate to support the show, if it was a blessing to you, you can do so via Cash App at Dollar Sign, The Other Side of Money. and uh, It would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for your time. Bless you, and I'll see you on the next episode where we're going to be talking about part two of this, um, of this series of Face Out of Finance, and we're going to be talking about some remedies to all of this. All right, see you on the next episode.